I'm Natalie Gasica, and this is 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52 Women, the podcast. Sophia Kahn is a born and bred Londoner. She works in publishing. She has a circle of tight girlfriends. They're consumed with fashion and friendships and all the things that most women hitting 30 are consumed with, including men. They're also Muslim. Sophia is a hijabi who doesn't drink, doesn't believe in sex before marriage, and prays five times a day. She's just broken off an engagement because she doesn't want to move in with her in-laws. Oh, and she's writing a book about Muslim dating. That's the premise of author Aisha Malek's debut novel, Sophia Khan is Not Obliged. And Aisha joins me now from London. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a delight. The book is just a refreshing and funny uh, and thoughtful read. Um, now, I know the book is tagged as a sort of Muslim Bridget Jones diary, and I gather you came up with that description. What's the shorthand you were going for there? Um, well, yeah, the book was conceived in my own head, actually, as a Muslim Bridget Jones um, mainly because I am such a fan of Helen Fielding and the Bridget Jones books. So when I when I thought about writing this book, it just came to me as such. Um, I've often read um, books in which I absolutely love the heroines, um, Bridget Jones obviously being probably top of the list. And um, the only thing which kind of jarred for me was that they weren't always very relatable i.e they were never muslim so for me it was just that kind of spin on contemporary literature with a muslim twist if you like because i wanted to write something that was truer to my experiences and the experience of those people that um, that i know and i'm quite close to I very much wrote what I knew, um, that old adage of um, when writing, what should you write? Um, we're often told we should write what we know, even though I don't particularly believe that. But for my first book, that's what I adhered to. Um, I, I think I played it safe, but I think that was important in terms of um, me and my craft. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think it is an oxymoron at all. And I hope that's what the you know, book shows. Um, it wasn't intentional. It was just a reflection of what I see as modern Muslim dating. It was never going to be, I was never going to write about tales of oppression or an or honour killings or the subjugation of um, brown Muslim women. I think there's enough of that out there, both on TV and in books. Um, so, so the fact that I'm I'm, you know, able to dispel those myths in the book is definitely a, a plus point in my view. Did you encounter uh, any pushback uh, that uh, particularly tried to get the book published where people felt that um, you needed to include some of those uh, storylines or were you... No, no, I think it was, I think the people who, I mean... Where I, where I would have got that pushback from my agent or my publishers but one of the reasons they took the book on was because it wasn't that tale it wasn't the, the kind of story that we're used to hearing and they felt that it was fresh and it needed to be heard whether the wider public is ready to listen to that story I'm not entirely convinced um <laughs> I think it goes against <laughs> why why do you say that <laughs> Well, because I think people still have certain preconceived notions of what Muslims are. Right. Um, I, particularly South Asian characters in my, 
in my experience, when I see them on TV and in books, they're, they're often one dimensional. They're often, um, you know, caricatures or stereotypes. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I think we need to push back against that for sure. Well, I was hoping you're going to tell me that someone is going to turn it into a TV series. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know there there are talks. We have the it's in the, we're in talks for that. So um, fingers crossed. Oh, that would be great. Now I think the book is really funny. Um, and Sophia and her friends and family have a real sense of humor, um, even when they're on the receiving end of very overt racism. Um, so why was the humor part important for you in this? You know, one of my favorite uh, lines is uh, when uh, Sophia is on the mm. tube in the underground and she is the object of, um, you know, someone's racism and she thinks later she wanted to shout back, well, you know, a terrorist wouldn't be wearing designer shoes. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I think the humor is just so fresh. Why was it necessary as part of the story? Um, I guess that's um, multifold, maybe twofold, maybe multifold. Um, Primarily, it's because that was Sophia's voice for me. Um, When the kind of character came to me, I felt that she would be funny, you know, she'd have quite a light take on life. Um, And so it made sense that the book would be funny because that was going to be part of the character's charm, hopefully. And I guess the other side of that is um, the world is a really bleak place sometimes. Um, And we're kind of bombarded with really negative messages um and negative stories and it feels like we're kind of you know in this constant cycle of um, negativity and I think that comedy is a really great way of engaging people from all cultures all religions or of no religion uh, without kind of having to hammer home a particular message so me, so for me, comedy is not just a, a kind of vehicle to engage an audience, but it's also just life. You know, I think that even right. in really tragic circumstances, um, you can, you know, not all tragic circumstances, obviously, but in certain circumstances, you can always see the kind of comedy in a situation. Um, and it's often absurd and people are often unaware of it. So it's just about kind of seeing those that from an outside perspective and honing in on that and showing the kind of shades of of the way we live I think that's just I think that's just true of true to life yeah I think it's uh, very effective I laughed out loud a lot in the book um thank you I'm interested in the depiction of the younger Muslims in the book uh Sophia herself is a hijabi uh, uh something a decision her parents don't support uh, there's a potential uh, suitor uh, for her who is what you call a beardy, so someone who wears a beard and his parents are not. Um, can you talk a little about that decision to have the younger characters sort of wear their faith publicly? And if you're trying to tell us something about the tension between the immigrants who arrived earlier and who are trying mm-hmm. to assimilate and... Um, what uh, younger Muslims are going through. And I should point out for our audience that you yourself wear a headscarf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, we're going through a really interesting transition in terms of um, generations because 
again, what I depicted in my book is um, often true to scenarios that I have seen um, and often experienced as well firsthand. And I think that um, the, my generation and generate, the younger generation as well, and those younger than my, me, I mean, um, they, they're a lot more inclined they seem to be a lot more inclined towards their faith. You know, they're in this process of real self-discovery, um, trying to figure out who they are in terms of their identity. And, you know, they've been born and brought up here as our parents. They came to the country. They had a really word heart, um, hard work ethic. Um, and they were very focused on just putting food on the table, um, in, in my experience and in, in, my, in my view as well. But um, I think with my generation, the ones who were born and brought up um, in England, we have a kind of, you know, we're not, we don't have an identity crisis, but we're curious about our faith. Um, and often it doesn't just conflict with people who are white or English or, or of other faiths or of no faith, but with our, with our own families. And I think that's really interesting and it's really important because it's a kind of, it's a kind of conflict which you're faced by from every direction. Um, and I think that I wanted to show, I wanted to show that reality in the book. Mm -hmm. Now, Sophia makes the decision to wear a scarf after 9-11. Um, mm. Is that something that you've sort of seen yourself amongst your cohort? I mean, what what was it about yeah. that that and making that decision? Hugely, hugely. I mean, after nine eleven, honestly, you can kind of pinpoint the time in which there was just this massive shift towards reclaiming one's faith. People I knew who were who were kind of um, apathetic towards it or what you would say cultural Muslims just started really thinking about who they were and who they wanted to be and what they wanted to be. Um, and of course, this is, you know, it's, I'm speaking generally, this isn't the case yeah. for everyone. And I, I'm sure there are stories out there also of people who have kind of turned away from the faith for, for that very reason. Um, but for me, largely, I saw such a huge um, shift in kind of uh, reclaiming that Muslim identity and um, it made sense that my character would have undergone the same thing. And is that, um, I mean, you've come of age post 9-11 in London. I mean, mm. you must be seeing an awful lot of changes in attitudes mm. towards Muslims since then. And I think, you know, for an American audience, I don't think they may understand the extent to which you know, there's a very vibrant, large Muslim community in London that are part and parcel yeah. of the city uh, in Absolutely. every sphere of life. Um, mm. I, I don't I, I think that that's something that's also relatively new in London. Mm. Um, well, yes, I guess so. Uh, London's always been a beautiful city for me because we bandy around this idea of assimilation, integration um, but one of the beautiful things about London is that you can hold fast to your culture, you can hold fast to your religion, or you can hold fast to your atheism or to whatever you might do. And there isn't, there didn't used to be this kind of pressure, you know, to be the way others are. Right. You were free to be who you were, practice what you want. And I think 
and I, and I, I don't think people quite appreciate how rare that is in cosmopolitan cities because you can go to a, a wonderful place like New York and I've visited New York lots and I, I love the city. I think it's brilliant. But I just, I somehow don't see that, um, uh, that freedom to be who you want to be in the same way that I see in London. Mm -hmm. um without this kind without having to you know uh, without having this term assimilation and integration kind of pressed upon you constantly i mean that that is changing slowly i feel here because of you know events that have been taking place largely terror events terrorist events that have been taking place over the years um but i think that's one of the city's really beautiful things actually yeah, I think that that's, to me, it, you know, reads very authentic in dialogue, in sentiment, and in the depiction of multicultural London, mm. um, which, you know, I guess that was one of the things that you wanted to say. Uh, and mm. I, it comes off very effectively, I think. Um, Thank you. I, I hope that, you know, uh, that an American audience could, will, you know, get their hands on this book. And I'm doing my best to try and bring, oh, bless you. Uh, bring attention to people uh, to the book. Um, the book is called Sophia Khan is not obliged. And yes, there is a sequel called the other side of happiness. You can read about this and other great books by women authors at 52 weeks, 52 books, 52 women.com and listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Author Aisha Malik joined me from London. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me.